even though we don't have a magic wand, you know, if I had a magic wand, obviously I would love to inject money and beauty and all those wonderful things into every building downtown, but we're getting it done building by building, step by step. Yeah, I'd love for it to be done a lot faster, but we're bootstrapping it. We're pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we're getting it done. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. I've had the opportunity over the last few years to travel to Shreveport, Louisiana, a place that I never thought I would get to. I mean, it was not on my list of places, but as a Minnesotan, uh, especially going in January and, and this time of year, it's, uh, it's wonderful to go someplace warm. So I'm like, hey, let's do it. I have been pleasantly, not just surprised, but blown away by the conversation happening in Shreveport and all the great things going on there. One of the people that I've had the pleasure to meet is Liz Swain. Liz is the executive director of the Shreveport Downtown Development Authority, and she's our guest on the podcast today. Liz, welcome to the Strong Downs Podcast. Hey, I am so happy to be with you, Chuck, and we are a remarkable place, and thank you for saying that. You are a remarkable place. Um, we are. You are. You know, I. It's it's funny because as a Minnesotan at the other end of the uh, the Mississippi River. World. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. When we hear of Louisiana, it's in the national context and it's often education. Minnesota's like in the top five and we take a lot of pride in that. Louisiana, there's a lot more struggles. I read a great book a couple of years ago by um, Arlie Rothschild. It was called Strangers in Their Own Land and it, it focused on Louisiana. I think a lot of the, uh, the national narrative is that Louisiana is kind of a backwater since I've been there, I found the exact opposite. I found such a fascinating place. I want to start the conversation by asking you, where, where are you from? Like, how did you end up in Shreveport doing what you're doing now? It's a strange story. I am not from Louisiana. I had no connections here whatsoever. I'm originally from North Florida. So I'm a, I'm a beach gal. I uh, went to college in Pensacola. My first TV job was in Pensacola and came to Shreveport for a job in television. Local TV station, ABC affiliate, had an anchor slot open. I came never, ever intending to stay. Really, this was just a stop on the hopeful upward trajectory. But loved it, loved it. Loved the company that I worked for, loved the city, loved the people, and ended up just putting down roots here and staying, and I have not regretted it for one moment. Yeah. Talk a little bit about Shreveport's downtown. Um, oh, I, mean, I would be happy to. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I have to say, as someone who has been to a lot of downtowns, there's quite a few things there that jump out at me as just being not cool, but like spectacularly cool. So take a moment. I will. I will. And thanks for that. Now, when I first moved to Shreveport, I was here for television. And then my career has taken several odd deflections, I guess you could say. I worked for eight years for a, a very progressive mayor, 
of the city. And while I was working here for him, I was downtown. And that was really my first experience with our very historic downtown. Shreveport is an old city. We've been here since the 1700s. Uh, We developed from the riverfront, which is part of our downtown, and we developed riverfront inward, like many river cities do. And so we still have a lot of beautiful historic buildings, wonderful stories, amazing spaces. And I got to see that in earnest in those eight years that I was with the mayor's office and wondered why our downtown wasn't doing better, why it wasn't more vibrant, why there weren't more people, more things to do, more places to go, more places to live, you know, all those things that you want in a downtown. And then I left the mayor's office, went to work for private business for a while, and the job with the Downtown Development Authority came up. A friend of mine said, you would be perfect for it. I said, well, okay, I'll put in an application, got the job, and have been here now for about nine and a half years and love it. So I came to downtown wondering why it was that we had not flourished like some other cities around the country. And what I realized is that we were just a little bit later to the show. Shreveport, I I guess since we're kind of in the middle of the country, the trends that start on the West Coast and the trends that start on the East Coast, they just take a little while to get to us. And the same thing was happening with uh, with downtown development. I heard a great, I guess it was a speech at one of the conferences that I went to, and it was talking about global trends. And you know, millennials love urban centers and things were happening with uh, with women in the workforce. And all of those things were creating clusters of excitement in downtowns. And we were seeing that here, too. We have some amazing historical buildings, beautiful architecture. It's a scale that's very pleasing. It's pedestrian-friendly. It's not so large that you can't walk around. And we're opportunities really here are amazingly endless. We like to tell people that anything that they have the desire, the heart, the dreams, and the money, of course, to do, we can make it happen for them. So our downtown is really a, a remarkable place. It's, it's pretty magical to me, and every space tells a story. What are some of the things that you've been able to work on over the last few years that stand out to you as like big successes? Oh, well, there are a number of things that we've seen. One of the things that we have always been underdeveloped for downtown is residential. We don't have enough spaces for the people who want to live down here. So we took that on immediately, and we've managed to see a big old 80,000-square-foot Sears department store become wonderful lofts that are 100% occupied with a waiting list. A big, beautiful bank that had been sitting mostly vacant for a number of years has become another wonderful apartment building that is filling up rapidly. It just started taking applications a few months ago. We've got other historic buildings that are appropriate for apartments that are in the middle of the transition. We've got an old railroad hotel that is being converted into a distillery. And some of the things that we've had a hand in here at the DDA, a direct hand in, is we've purchased several buildings that were vacant and not doing anything for the blocks that they were in. And we found partnerships with the Arts Council. One of the buildings called Art Space is a wonderful, magical 
gallery exhibit space. Tonight, they're opening three new art exhibits there. It's got a restaurant that's a part of it. We've opened Robinson Film Center downtown, which is a small two-screen theater that plays, you know, all sorts of not only popular little women's on the screen right now in 1917, but they also do a lot of foreign film, a lot of art-related film. They have book clubs there. We're seeing historic buildings converted into all sorts of things, from offices to restaurants to other retail spaces. And, and we've got a hand in all of that, and I'm so proud of our organization and proud of the people who are willing to give downtown a second, third, and fourth chance. I think one of the things that was humbling to me in terms of correcting my my misperceptions walking into Shreveport was the art scene, the art and the culture and the things going on, Huge, particularly in the downtown. Talk a little bit about that. You're kind of personally a little bit of a booster of this too, right? Oh, big time, big time. Well, we're a cultural district. Our downtown, we are a downtown development district, a historic district, and a cultural district. And what cultural district means is we can get some tax breaks and things of that nature. But it's also just a it's bragging rights because we've got so many things going on downtown. We have the Strand Theater, which is live musical performances and Broadway shows. And we've got multiple theater spaces in our downtown that are used constantly. The Shreveport Regional Arts Council is headquartered downtown, and they are at the epicenter of a nine-block new art and culture district called Shreveport Common, which has become sort of the place where the bohemian vibe really exists in earnest. We've got Art Space, Robinson Film Center, Norsworthy Gallery, and we have a monthly art walk that we actually put on every month. But All of this is to encourage people to come downtown to experience our downtown in a different way, to really get to know these artists and craftspeople who have uh, created such amazing things, and everybody wants to be around them, near them, like them. That's a great hook for us, and we, we try to use it, you know, as much as we can to get people to, uh, to see our spaces and envision them in a different way. One of the other things, I'm not a foodie. I'm not a food person. I'm actually like a terribly picky eater. The groups down there, when I've been, have taken me out to eat at places. And yeah. the, the first thing is that the vibe is just cool. I went to some yeah. like uh, hot dog place last time I was there. And, yeah, the uh, missing link. Oh yeah, my gosh. Right. Yeah, they're great. What a funky, cool place. Yeah, it's so cool. It's in a historic building that's right across the street from the courthouse and they're very steampunk. So their decor when you go in is kind of dark and Edison bulbs and giant uh, paintings of Abraham Lincoln wearing cool shades. And uh, you can get gourmet hot dogs and all kinds of stuff. I mean, very fun and funky. And uh, yeah, we've got several restaurants downtown and we've got sidewalk cafes that, you know, here's another thing. We, we didn't even have the ability, the legal ability to have a sidewalk cafe until two years ago. You know, so it's taken us a while to work through things that other cities have been able to do and been more nimble at doing for years. And But we're slowly getting there, and we've got some really good elected officials. I know you know very well Lavette Fuller, yep, who Levette's. is our city council person for, for the downtown district. She wrote the afterword for my book, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's, she gets it. She yeah, gets it. She's fantastic. And I can't stress enough that when you've got elected officials who get it, it makes life so much easier. Right. 
I, I want to ask you about that, the relationship with the local government. But I, I had a couple things I wanted to hit on first before we get to that, because I, I do think that's an important part. But you mentioned a little bit housing. And I want to talk about or ask you about the role that your group has had in the housing conversation. Um, when I, the, the first time I was there, I did a walking tour in the downtown and all these young people showed up. And when I asked them where they live, they started pointing to places. I live two blocks over there. I live in that building up there. When I was there for the book tour in uh, November of last year, we packed that place and it was a lot of young people. And when I would talk to them, they were all, you know, walking home or biking home. Talk a little bit about the evolution of the housing in the downtown and what the role of the, the DDA has been in making some of that come about. Up until 10 years ago, there was almost no place at all downtown to rent an apartment or to live unless you wanted to buy a building and rehab the entire building for yourself, which most people just don't have the wherewithal to do. And so back in the 1990s, our sister organization, we have a 501c4 called Downtown Shreveport Development Corporation, and we reached out to a large developer out of New Orleans that had done a lot of historic renos, and we managed to interest them in two historic buildings downtown, and one is a market rate building and one is affordable housing. And we partnered with them to make that a reality, and that really kicked off uh, apartment living in downtown Shreveport. Uh, it, it got it all started. Prior to that, uh, because it had not been done, people were scared of it. You know, no one wants to be the first person to dive into the pool. You don't want to be the first person to find out that the water's too hot, too cold, or, or not deep enough. But we were able to encourage uh, this developer to do it. They became an instant hit. They were 100% occupied with waiting lists, and slowly but surely, we were able to encourage other developers, most of them from outside, which is interesting, but also makes sense because these were developers who had had experience with um, historic rehabs and were more willing, I think, to take the risk. And since then, we've had uh, multiple historic buildings rehabbed. We try to identify possible developers. We try to bring them in. We try to interest them. We, we try to partner the building owners with these uh, folks who have this experience. We also encourage our smaller building owners, the ones who own the two-story buildings that are the bulk of our downtown, to do some maybe one or two apartments upstairs, you know, have some nice retail on the, the ground floor and then have some residential upstairs. My husband and I walked the talk. Uh, we bought an old building. Actually, we bought three old buildings in an area that's, you know, the location's a little bit, a little bit iffy, but we love the building. We love the potential. We bought the buildings. And because we've been doing the rehab, I feel like I can talk the language to people. I can tell them what they're going to encounter, what their challenges are going to be, and we can handhold them through the process of the state historic tax credits, which are very important for, for many people in making the dollars and cents of a project work out. Residential is huge. As you saw, the young people who are down there, they're walking. We've got to have a downtown that the sidewalks don't roll up at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and things happen before 8 o'clock in the morning. If we don't do that, if we're not successful at that, we're going to be unsuccessful at almost everything else. I think I'd like to push back on one 
impression that you, okay. you've you said a couple times. You had this narrative where you said, you know, things start on the coast and then they work their way in and we're maybe a little bit behind, but we're like catching up. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I do think, you know, as someone who has traveled a lot and seen a ton of downtowns, I would put you guys among the leaders of people doing oh, well, great stuff. I, I mean, I... Well, I appreciate that. I think that there is a lot for people to learn from what has happened in downtown Shreveport over the last, you know, half a decade. Don't sell yourself short. You know, I feel like things well, are... thank you. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's good hearing that from, from, from someone else. You know, I, I guess I'm just comparing us with downtowns that are more finished. But there are a couple of things that I really do appreciate about our downtown is that we're incremental. And I love that. And I, I know of cities that have gone in and raised most of their downtown for urban development, and they've torn down historic buildings for these glossy new buildings, and I am so happy that we did not do that. Now, we did it in places. Quite obviously, we've lost some old buildings over time, but we've retained a significant number of them as well, and so I can live with that. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about the role of government. You are one of the friendlier people that I've run into. I, I know you are also headstrong and, you know, you're a pusher and you get things really? done. Um, you know, I get that. But you also get things done in a way that brings people along with. Talk a little bit about the government in Shreveport, which, you know, as someone coming in, I would say, obviously, you know, Levette has some some really bright lights and some great thinkers. And I really like your planner. And I, I think there's a lot of people doing great things. There's also a lot of institutional resistance to change. And, you know, some people who maybe uh, I'll say as for me, stuck in the past a little bit, but how have you navigated that? And how, talk about just the partnership with the city. What, what's been their role? Well, I'm going to start by saying when I met you, I guess it was maybe two and a half years ago, the first time that you came through Shreveport, I think it's important for people to know that, that two things happened after I met you. I wanted to throw up and I wanted to cry. <laughs> do you remember me telling you that? <laughs> maybe. Yeah, no, I do. But I'm, 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 uh, I, I hope I don't have that effect on everybody. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> so... After I sat and I watched your presentation, it was like the light bulb came on and all of these old ideas that had been sacrosanct for so many years that had been the way that we had done things that had made tremendous sense in things like annexation, you know, going after the gated community where there are a lot of beautiful large homes because they pay a lot of taxes and, uh, you know, stringing out your infrastructure and all that. After I watched your presentation, I quite honestly felt sick to my stomach, and I did not know whether I needed to leave the room and go have a good cry, because I realized that we were on that path, like so many cities, we were on that path. That was when my light bulb went off, and I started delving into strong towns and reading a lot of your writings and you know, realized that so much of what you were saying just made incredible sense, and why didn't I, why didn't I know that before? But I think that coming to that a little bit later, I'm able to talk to a lot of our elected and appointed officials who have not had the benefit of hearing you speak and trying to kind of take them down that path. And you're seeing that with our uh, zoning officials. And you met, I think, the last time you were in town with the head of uh, our 
parish commission, and you're making great inroads. But the way that our elected bodies work locally, well, not everybody knows, but in Louisiana, we're Napoleonic law, we're French-based law, so instead of having counties, we have parishes. Same difference, basically. So in our city, we have a strong mayor, what's called a strong mayor form of government. So we don't have a city manager, we have a mayor. And then we have seven city council members who represent specific districts. They're not at large, so they're representing a specific district in the city. And then our parish commission, they also have commissioners that represent certain districts, and they have a commission administrator who is a a hired, so he would be more like a commission manager. So that that is kind of how we are, are set up in Shreveport. And our downtown, Levette is our city council person, and a gentleman named Stephen Jackson is our parish commissioner, and we have a great relationship, and we try to reach out to all of our commissioners and city council persons and maintain a good relationship because that just makes sense. The last, I have worked now under three, uh, one, two, three, three mayors, and all those mayors have understood the importance of a strong downtown. So I am thrilled that I have not had to butt heads with mayors who did not understand that downtowns matter. And they've all said the right things, and they've all had an open-door policy whenever we've had a problem. I appreciate that very much. Now, sometimes open-door policies and willingness to listen does not translate to actual action. So I will say that, but they've all been very willing to listen and at least give me the opportunity to make the argument. When I think about development directors around the country, you know, advocates for downtowns, they deal with a very similar set of challenges. You know, you've got uh, developers coming in who have visions and dreams, and, and sometimes that conflicts with with what is, uh, you know, desired by the community or, or looked at in the downtown as being positive. Maybe they want huge amounts of tax subsidy. You've got politicians who come in who have their own kind of big dreams and, and plans. Do you have any advice for the development directors and the downtown advocates that are are listening for how to kind of navigate that? How do you make progress without burning those bridges and uh, taking every defeat as like your your Waterloo in a sense? Well, it's just all in how you deal with it. It's really important not to take things personally. You do your best, you fight your hardest, and then you shake hands and you live to fight another day. And it's important for you to let those elected officials that you're either with or against know that you're with them or against them on this, but on the next issue, you may be reversed. And that you're not angry at them. You're just, you're doing your job to the best of your ability to represent the people that that you are there to represent. And in my case, I am representing downtown. I am representing the interests of downtown. That's why we were developed and why we were created by the the legislature in the 1970s is because downtown really had no voice and they felt that we they needed a full-time voice and that's what we became. So I always tell these elected officials, you understand that I am here because downtown they're my people. This is my place, and this is who I'm advocating for. And we're not going to see eye to eye on this, but 
we're going to work together on other projects. And you also can't always be an againner. You know, you can't always say no. You look for ways that you can say yes. You look for ways that you can work with people. And you also, if there's a project that's near and dear to the heart, say, of an elected official that you just cannot support, just cannot support, you try to let them know the reasons why you can't support. They're very specific reasons. Here's why we cannot. This is not in the best interest of downtown. But we're not against development altogether, so let's go try to find something that will work for everybody. I think you keep the lines of communication open. I think if you're only talking to people when you've got a beef with them, then you're going to not have a good relationship. You've got to talk with them you know, all the time. Keep them updated. Uh, make sure they don't feel like you're conniving or plotting against them. That's the worst possible thing that you can you can be doing is talking about somebody behind their back. You know, anything that I'm going to say to somebody about somebody, I'm, I will tell them to their faces. So it's just good common sense. It's the way we should treat everybody. I know that the changes that have happened in the downtown in, in the time that you've been with the DDA have been remarkable in terms of, you know, just being able to see it and experience it. But there's an underlying dollars and cents part of this that I know you're tied into as well. Downtowns are great investments for a community. Can you speak a little bit to how the the dollars and cents part of this has impacted Shreveport, either the government or the conversation or what have you? We try to stress that every time we go in and talk to our elected officials. And certainly every time I give a speech to citizens throughout the city, and I give a lot of talks every year, one of the things I always show them, you know, I take one of the charts, one of Joe Minicosi's great charts, showing how you crunch the numbers to show the benefit per acre, the tax benefit of a downtown building that may be 17 stories tall to a big box store out in the suburbs. And we've done that for downtown. So I can show them one of our buildings, uh, American Tower, Louisiana Tower, the benefit to, to the tax coffers. And I always remind people that that money goes into the general fund in the city, and the general fund goes to pay for things all over the city. There is not a pot of money that just says for downtown use only. It goes into the general fund. So we are trying to be even a greater engine to create uh, a, a tax basis that will benefit the rest of the city. We're also the historic cultural center of the city. Uh, we're the place where government mainly uh, is located, where the place of where our courts are located, where the place where our um, art is located, and so where the place where our festival plaza is located, where our largest farmer's market is located. So people have a great relationship with downtown and, and they want to be a part of it and they come down here and they experience it. And one of the things that we have too, and it's a challenge, and I mean, we're trying to overcome this challenge right now, is we've got historic buildings, we've got some beautiful ones, but we also have a number of historic buildings that have uh, suffered what I call demolition by neglect. Um, they're not they're not totally down to the ground yet, but they have not been taken care of over their lives. And the worse a building gets, the more challenging it is to rehab and the more costly it is to rehab and the fewer people, therefore, that will do it. And so that has become a real challenge. We don't have the incentives that I think that we need to have in our downtown to get 
lots and lots of people interested. So the developers who do have that ability, who have the background, who have the vision, and who have the access to capital can be few and far between. So we really uh, we have to treat them with kid gloves when they come in. Right, right. You spoke earlier about the incremental nature of how the downtown has evolved and developed. And it's already like a potent financial force, but you can kind of see that momentum building. I want to switch and talk a little bit about the Cross Bayou Point project, which is the uh, the kind of all-consuming, suck the air out of the room uh, development proposal. It has. Now. Yeah. There is no doubt. There yeah. is no doubt. Yeah. And you you guys are kind of working incrementally behind the scenes and seeing this you know accelerating impact from that. The Cross Bayou project is the opposite. It's a big opportunity zone. One, you know, the headline number is the one billion dollar redevelopment project, a couple miles north of of your area. You and I have never spoke about this, so I have no clue what you even think about any of this project at all. Could we start by having just a description of it? Like, are you feel comfortable enough explaining what's sure, going sure, on? Sure. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So Cross Bayou is actually part of downtown. You know, as the crow flies, it's probably about an, I don't know, a 16th of a mile away, an eighth of a mile. It's really easy to walk to uh, from my office, and I'm on the other side of downtown from it. So it's probably like, oh, eight blocks away from me. And Cross Bayou is a historic waterway that comes off of the Red River. And Cross Bayou... um, it was remarkable. It had a Confederate shipyard at one point. Um, if you remember the USS Hunley that Clive, the author Clive Cussler helped raise from off the coast of Charleston, uh, South Carolina, there are allegedly three scuttled Confederate submarines in the mouth of Cross Bayou. We have a remarkable A-truss bridge that's one like there's only one other in the country that's like this, that's on Cross Bayou. We have a National Historic Register location called the Waterworks Museum, which is one of the only kind in the country. And so it's remarkable. And we've and it's downtown. We have an urban waterfront that's undeveloped. Tell me who would not give their eye teeth for that. So, but along the years, there was development down there, most of it industrial. Uh, So there's a lot of environmental remediation that would need to be done. One of the largest parcels of land down there is owned by a private company that is a salvage yard. And so it's been there for 50 or so years, and there's no telling, you know, what's in the soil under that salvage yard. It's lots, lots of things there. The Cross Bayou Point project is looking at 88 acres, which is... I've been told is about the same as about 22 city blocks. So if that gives you an idea in your mind, it is owned by multiple owners. The city owns some, the parish owns some, private industry and private owners own some, our uh, local electrical utility owns some, the railroad owns some. So there are multiple owners of that property. What the folks who want to do this project want is the city to acquire that 88 acres from the various owners. We have no idea how much that will cost, whether it will be outright sales or require eminent domain. They want some help in remediation. That number is also a question mark. 
They would like the city to, through taxing mechanisms, pay for all of the infrastructure that would be needed. And then they would like to develop that property by moving our existing courthouse, which is in the very middle now of our central business district, to Cross Bayou. They would like to move a state building, which is currently on a street that's outside of downtown, to Cross Bayou. They would like to move our juvenile justice facility, which is currently in another location in our city, to Cross Bayou. And they would like to build 5,000 residential units that would be everything from $400,000 condominiums to um, affordable housing. So that is their plan that has been put forward to the city council, and the city council is due to make a decision on the first step, which would be what is called a binding memorandum of understanding. I've kind of struggled with that notion of it being a binding memorandum of understanding, because as I've dug into it, it it doesn't seem very... Like it binds you to having an understanding at first, but it doesn't really commit much down the line. Am I missing something on that? Well, I think that it does. Okay. (laughs) Explain that then, because I I wasn't grasping that completely. Okay. So what it binds the city to is continued talk, which... I have a kind of a nefarious mind. I'm going to say I'm always looking to see, well, what... A little skeptical. What trouble could this get us into if we did it? You know, what's the unforeseen consequences? Well, the the folks who are doing the Cross Bayou will tell you that they have spent to date $5 million on everything that they've done to try to get this project up and running. And I don't know where that money has been spent or how that's been spent, but that's been the number that they've been using. So if the city decides to move forward with discussion, even though the binding MOU states that at any point and for many reasons, either side could stop negotiations, there is still under 5.3, under applicable law and venue, the venue of any litigation arising under this MOU shall be in the first judicial Caddo District Court, Caddo Parish. So my my belief is that if something happened and they were not able to, to bring this project to fruition, that at some point there will be a lawsuit stating that the city of Shreveport did not negotiate in good faith and therefore we are suing for our losses and damages arising. So I think that at the very least, uh, if we proceed forward, we can almost guarantee ourselves a lawsuit. Are we in agreement, you and me, that this seems the opposite of incremental, right? Oh, it's so opposite. I don't know that there's a word for it. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> yes. yeah. I'm assuming a lot of the downtown in Shreveport is opportunity zone site the whole, too. Right? Almost the entire... Almost the entire downtown is an opportunity zone. Is this your first opportunity zone project that has come in? No. We've actually got two others that are under development currently. Tell me about those just quick. Yeah. The other two are individual projects. One is the old Arlington Hotel, which is a 24,000 square foot 
former railroad hotel that's being rehabbed into a uh, distillery. We're super excited. It's all private money. Uh, the only thing that they've asked the city to do is when they finish doing all the wonderful things that they're going to do to that building is to come in and repair the sidewalks and put in some better street lights. Thank you. We can do that. Yeah, we no absolutely kidding. absolutely should do that. Let's you do know, it. We, sh- we should put in some pretty trees and, you know, things like that and repave the street. We should do that. The other is uh, it's called the Andrus Artist and Entrepreneur Center. And it's a cool old building, probably about, I'm going to say this building's probably about 12,000 square feet, a historic building. And um, so the gentleman's coming in, and on the ground floor, he's going to have an art gallery and some, like, art incubator spaces. And uh, upstairs, he's a serial investor in entrepreneur businesses, and so a number of his entrepreneur businesses are going to locate upstairs on some really cool office space that he's developing. And that's another one of our Opportunity Zone uh, businesses. So we're excited as can be about both of those and really looking forward to them opening in 2020. This Cross Bayou project, I went through the documents that they submitted and looked at it, and they're kind of outlining eight different aspects to it. And I want to ask you a couple of them because they're not clear to me what the benefit is or or why this is being done. The first one's the state office complex. You mentioned this. They want to relocate the state office complex to this new site, $100 million building. Yes, that the state will not own. The state will just lease. They would lease so it. So the state, right. they would lease it uh, in perpetuity. I don't think that the, the state has that kind of money. It seems to me, to not make any sense to do that because they could either stay where they are, which is a large historic building that does need some repair, um, and they could put some money into it and stay there. We have one million square feet of empty space in downtown Shreveport today. They could move the state building into some of that office space in downtown rehab a building, own the building, and then we could assist them in putting that building where they are now on the market, get it into the hands of a developer using historic tax credits, and maybe do cool senior housing or something of that nature. But for them to abandon the facility that they're in now, move to a leased facility that is going to cost far more than it seems it should. Uh, Uh, You know, $100 million, that's insanity to me when they can rehab a giant building downtown for far under $30 million, or they could, you know, put some significant millions into the building they are now for the future. Either one of those would be much less expensive to the taxpayers than would, you know, having a lease on a $100 million building built for them that they will not own. The second part here is the criminal justice complex, which is actually double yes. that, uh, two hundred million. Yes. Is it? Is this kind of the same thing where they would build a building same and then lease it back? Yep, yep. All of those are all of those are build a building and lease it back. And I think that that is a wonderful thing if a developer can get that because then it shows long term return. Uh, you can go to banks. You can unlock additional investment. You know, those are the, those are really some of the key components of this project working. But let's talk for a moment about the courthouse. Our courthouse downtown is beautiful. It is owned by the parish, the parish of Caddo. The parish of Caddo does a fabulous job of maintaining it. It's 
gorgeous inside, simply beautiful. It has tremendous amount of foot traffic every day. There are over 500 employees who utilize that space. Uh, we've run the numbers on how many people come in and out of that building on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis, and it is significant. We have jury trials multiple times per month, and then those jurors, when they leave for lunch, they are going across the street to the missing link where you went and getting a great hot dog. They're walking up the street to the Retro Downtown Cafe or to Abbey Singers or Parish Taco or Rhino Coffee or one of our other restaurants. They're shopping in our stores. They're looking at our buildings. That is foot traffic that is incredibly necessary for our downtown. You move that six blocks north to the bayou front, and it removes all of that foot traffic, and that immediately impacts every single business downtown that those people had been interacting with. Because I guarantee you that they are not going to walk the six blocks back into the central business district if that building moves. Now, the developers who are working with Cross Bayou will tell you that they will take the courthouse and they will rehab it into something else. I don't know what that something else could be that would create that type of foot traffic. You know, they're talking about doing apartments there. Well, that's going to be a really expensive rehab, really expensive. So those apartments are going to be top dollar apartments. Let's just say, for sake of argument, you get 40 apartments. I think that's on the high side, but maybe you can. Maybe there's going to be two people per apartment, so that means 80 people will be there. And most people have a job during the day, so they're not going to be there from 8 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock in the evening. So those people, those 80 people then, won't even be seen downtown until nighttime. So what we've done is we've taken thousands of people walking back and forth to that building and traded it for 80 people at night only walking back and forth to that building. Those numbers don't add up at all to us. We are we're going to fight like heck to keep our courthouse in downtown. There's a a multi-use sports complex and a Civil War Civil Rights Museum that are also proposed. I I'm into number three and four item on the list, and I still haven't got to like a real taxpaying entity, but. Are those just like the sweeteners to sell it to the community? Like here's the flashy thing that you can build? Or is there something else I'm missing with that? Yeah, you know, museums are wonderful and we love them, but they tend not to be money makers. So whenever I see things like that, they've also told us that they're going to spend $3 million on the A-Trust bridge to make it a pedestrian bridge. And again, all of that, that's wonderful stuff. I would love it if somebody would do that, but that doesn't make them any money, and I don't know how that computes. I don't. I just don't. Um, so, I think that uh, sweeteners are important. I really do. I think you want to make it as you want to make it as attractive as you can to as many people as possible. Now we're at uh, something they're calling Cyber Bayou, which is a. Uh, it's labeled as a digital ecosystem, which is a yeah. STEM school, some private public investment. There's a, looks like an anchor tenant called the nucleus or something like that. Interested yeah. in moving in yeah. local university. They got listed again. I think most of this is, is a conglomeration of public uses, not private investment. What am I not understanding about this aspect of it? 
Oh, Chuck, I think that those are beautiful artist renderings. Yeah. They are gorgeous. Yeah. And what they've done is they've taken, I think, best case scenarios. It's like, wouldn't it be great if we had a STEM school? Wouldn't it be great if we had a this? Wouldn't it be great if we had a that? And they plugged it in. You know, and, and doing some talking sessions, maybe people said, boy, we, you know, we need more tech. And so they put tech there, and boy, we need this, and they put that there. But I think having the pretty pictures is helpful in, in showing a vision. But it, it's nothing – there are no contracts that have been signed, no, no contracts. The Caddo Parish School Board – they are saying outright that they're not putting a STEM school there, that there's no need for a school in in this area. That would have to be a private, like a charter school or something like that, and it's conceivable they could find somebody to do that. But, there again, no contracts have been signed. No contract has been signed with the state. No contract has been signed with the parish. No contract has been signed on anything. But they state that that it will be much easier, quite obviously, to sign those contracts once they have a, a binding MOU and a master development agreement. There's 5,000 residential units proposed. I saw it says 500 in, in phase two. I'm assuming that that means like 4,500 in you know subsequent phases. That seems like a lot of upfront public investment and public commitment and essentially like rearranging public... I was going to say chairs on the the deck of the Titanic, but I I don't think it's that bad, but essentially moving public chips around to get to, yeah, yeah, to get to 500 housing units. So 500 is not out of the realm of possibility. As a matter of fact, you know, if we could incrementally, and that's the key, bring in 500 units in our existing downtown, I think that we could fill them all. And we are doing that. We've got a project that's coming online that's got 34 units. We've got some smaller projects that are coming online with, you know, threes and fours and things of that nature. But I think that, and we've got some incredible historic buildings downtown that would look fabulous with apartments in them. And so that, I think, is a doable piece of the puzzle, but for existing downtown. That 5,000, there's no basis in reality. You would have to move an entire neighborhood of people from their current neighborhood to cross by you to make that work. I've talked to local apartment developers who have long histories and have been very successful in their projects, and they've developed in Shreveport and Dallas and Fort Worth and, you know, multiple areas. And I said, how does, how does this work? And they say it doesn't work. You know, there's such a thing called an absorption rate. You can figure out what that is. It's like, what can your economy absorb? Do you build something that you don't need? And what happens if you build that? Well, then you're going to go belly up. There's not the absorption rate. There's Shreveport right now, our population is not growing. We're in a census year. Everyone's uh, very eager to, you know, show best numbers for the census year. The 2000 census, our population was 2,145. Since then, it appears that we've dropped to about 186, that general area. So I'm expecting about that for, for this year's census. So people aren't moving in. 
you're exactly right. What we would be doing would be moving people around. I, I don't know that that is helpful in the, in the scheme of, you know, of our city. I don't know that that's anything that's going to increase the tax dollars that we're seeing and that we desperately need for all sorts of things that we're dealing with now, um, serious things that the city is dealing with including a, a consent decree on our sewer system, which has been estimated to cost over a billion dollars, over a billion dollars, and we're still trying to figure out where that money's going to come from. So, yeah, it's a lot of beautiful pictures. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up and tell you that if this were a private developer and this were private dollars, we would work with them to the best of our ability, and we would share with them our feelings and thoughts and concerns that they would be able to do whatever they wanted to do. And, But this is significant public dollars. And so that's why we feel that we should have a stronger voice and that the citizens should have a stronger voice in this discussion. It does feel like you know, looking at this, what they are asking is for you, the community, to put up a massive upfront ante, both in, you know, real dollars upfront, tens of millions of dollars upfront, but then also in these long-term lease commitments, essentially put up the upfront ante that will guarantee that at least the first round of housing is going to be successful. You know, and that seems like a big risk to take for you know, what is in a sense, limited guaranteed outcome. And, and I'm kind of with you outcome that I'm, I'm not even sure that, you know, if you could get those first 500 units, why you would want them there as opposed to in a place where they can be leveraged in a better way. And we have been talking, they, they've brought a developer down from New York and we've shown him some of our downtown building space and, you know, try to engage him in that. And he has been, he has told us that he is more than willing to deploy. Uh, at one point he talked about 80 million. Then he talked about a hundred million dollars into our existing downtown. And we were excited about that conversation. And then he sent us an email stating if he was going to do that, all the various incentives and monies that we would need to provide to him for him to do that. So it went from a discussion about him doing it to a discussion about him and us in a big way doing it. Now, I am not opposed to incentives. I think sometimes incentives work. Sometimes they are needed to fill a gap. I'm not anti-incentives. But what I am opposed to is us rushing in to give incentives on a project that that we are not uniform about and there's not been community discussion about and, and not buy-in about when there have been many projects in downtown that have managed to do it without incentives. Incentives always make life easier. Absolutely they do. But to give away the farm on one thing and then to refuse money to others on another thing, it, it, it seems arbitrary. And we, we need to have a process. If we're going to be giving incentives away, we need to have some sort of process in hand. Well, and it's, it's interesting, too, to me, because a lot of times when downtowns are making a comeback, 
the early projects are incentivized. And the idea is that the later projects would be where you'd make your money. You know, once the downtown's kind of moving in the right direction, then people want to be there and they don't necessarily need subsidies to come along. You're absolutely right. The incentives that I think would make the most sense in our downtown would be in assisting in the rehab of some of these historic buildings that have been allowed to become so, you know, so many of them have lots and lots and lots of, of, of structural issues and are, are just going to cost so much money to rehab because they've been just ignored for so long. I can see some uh, uh, some additional structural grants or monies of that type to assist in, you know, making the dollars and cents of, of, of really expensive construction projects work. But some of these other things that, that we're talking about now with, with this project make a lot less sense to me. Well, this is kind of the last question I want to ask you goes to a little bit of the I'm going to use the word inferiority complex. There's the phrase. I look at Shreveport and I look at a place that is doing fantastic. Like I, I look at the changes that have happened there just in the short time that I've been coming to Shreveport and it's been fantastic. And I look back at the momentum and the trajectory and, and like all the signs are pointing up. Now, all of a sudden, you've got someone from the outside coming in saying, hey, we kind of like you. We, we like what you're doing. If you're willing to, in a sense, sell the store, you know, give, give us everything we need here, we'll come in and, and express our love for you. I've seen that here in my own city where it's like we have a really hard time appreciating and valuing ourselves. But when someone else comes in and kind of flatters us, we're like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're in love with you. Is this a little bit of what's going on here? Is there a little bit of a uh, inferiority complex happening that is making this maybe seem more seductive than it actually should be? Oh, I don't know. You know, we, we have an inferiority complex. And we had a situation here several years ago when there was a city council person and they were debating a project in a, in a very nice council district. It's a lovely place and people like to live there and shop there. And there was a business that wanted to come in that was completely incorrect for that area. And the statement was actually made, we can't do any better than this. And that made me angry because we can always do better. We can always do better. And the minute we start thinking that we can't do any better than this, that's our future, right? But with this group, I don't so much think that it's somebody who is, you know, flattering us. They're actually kind of doing the opposite, which has been a very interesting thing to watch. Very, it's, it's almost like a psychological performance. They have come in and told us that our downtown, basically everything that they print about our downtown and everything that they say about our downtown is how much it sucks. <laughs> Everything they say is how much it sucks. And that they can fix it. That if, if we don't turn to them, that our downtown's going to continue to be barren and unused and not reach potential, and, but they can fix it. I don't know that people are actually buying into it, but that's been their narrative. And, and that's been very, I feel that's been harmful because you don't want people to constantly 
say, oh, that's a terrible place. You don't want to go there because sooner or later that sticks. <laughs> you know, people go, oh, I don't want to go there. <laughs> I've heard it's a terrible place. So that I have been hugely offended <laughs> by that whole narrative because even though we don't have a magic wand, you know, if I had a magic wand, obviously I would love to inject money and beauty and all those wonderful things into every building downtown, but we're getting it done building by building, step by step. Yeah, I'd love for it to be done a lot faster, but we're bootstrapping it. We're pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we're getting it done. So that's kind of the direction that they've been going on it. It's more that you're really ugly and you can't get a date and yeah, well, okay, we'll we'll take you out. But only if you help us take you out. Only if you buy the car and buy the corsage and buy my suit and pay the tab at the expensive restaurant. Well, and this is why I deeply admire you and admire everything you guys are doing in Shreveport because it is, you know, we, we talk nostalgically in this country about, you know, places that bootstrap themselves. You all are doing it. I mean, you, you guys are walking that walk. You're doing it. Yeah. You're doing a great job of it. <laughs> you know, you're you. doing Thank it you. really successfully. And, and I see it, you know, as positioning the community for really great things. So the more I've gotten into the Cross Bayou project, the more it's kind of made me sad because it, it, it in a sense is saying what you're doing isn't good enough. When I'm, I'm telling you, like, I'm looking around the country and I see very few people doing it better. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It means a lot. It means a lot because we only know what we're doing, you know, and we're, we're always thinking we could do this better. We could do this faster. You know, it's good to hear some positive affirmation. Liz Swain is the executive director of the Downtown Development Authority in Shreveport. I'm going to put a link to all your stuff, including the, the Bayou Point project. But if, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to chat with you, what would be the best way to do that? They can email me. Uh, it's on our website. Or they can call me. Do you want me to give you the phone number? No. Happy to do it. They can get that on the website, too. <laughs> Yeah, they can get it. I'm happy to do. I am. I am more than willing to talk with anybody about just about anything, especially if they're interested in downtown Shreveport. You um, write a little bit on the local paper now and then. Yeah, which I love. We share your articles; they're fantastic. Thank you, thank you. I really admire you, and I admire what you're doing, and just want to say thank you for everything you do to make Shreveport a strong town and a better place. Well, I appreciate everything that you do. So keep it up. Thank you. Let's keep working together. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks, Liz. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made this city? The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. 
Yeah.